at one point. My, my character is sort of the thorn in Tom Hanks's character's side. He's like a real estate developer. And, uh, and at one point you came over to me and you're like, maybe on this take you could just get in his face, just sort of uh, just really get in there and make it very uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I got to get in Tom Hanks's face and he's not going to know it's coming. <laughs> and it ended up being wonderful. It was, yeah, it's funny. It was a good take. And it and was then, like, I, I, I like that, that imitation of the accent. <laughs> That is the voice of Mark Forster, uh, one of my favorite film directors. Um, he, I worked with him. I ju- I'm, I'm in a film with Tom Hanks right now that Mark directed uh, called A Man Called Otto. I couldn't recommend it more highly. I, I watched it. I uh, cried a, a bit, uh, a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm parsing my words as to how much I cried. I, let me be really specific. I cried a lot. 10 minutes in and then I cried a real lot in the final 20 minutes and I laughed in between it and that's actually what we talk about today a lot is the relationship between comedy and drama and the calibration of that. Um, Mark has directed Monsters Ball, Finding Neverland, Stranger Than Fiction, World War Z, Christopher Robin. He's won and been nominated for countless awards. He's a really, really sweet person. Uh, We have, I think, a great conversation not just about filmmaking, but about the nature of creation and pursuing your dream and how hard that is and how, uh, how, many, how many obstacles you're up against when you're trying to do that and where, where one begins. And I, for that reason, I just, I just love it. Um, I want to thank everybody for coming out to The Old Man in the Pool. We just finished our run at the Vivian Beaumont Theater at Lincoln Center. Um, there will be a few more announcements about places one could see it, but I, I'm going to be very vague about that. You'll be the first to know. Um, also, f- to my friends in Salt Lake City, as well as Mesa, Arizona, I know I had to cancel the shows in the fall to do the Broadway run. I told you, I guaranteed you I would return. I am returning March 16th and 17th. It, it should be a great night. I mean, those are beautiful, beautiful theaters, and I was so crushed that I wasn't able to do them in the fall but I'm coming back. Um, Also, for all these updates on everything, um, there might be some European news soon. There might be some more news about some different tour dates uh, in the spring. Uh, Join uh, the mailing list at burbigs.com, B-I-R-B-I-G-S.com, and enjoy my conversation with the great Mark Forster. You and I started working on this movie, Man Called Otto, which just came out this week, and it's amazing, and it's so moving to so many people. And uh, we, I would say, eventually, we become friends. I've actually talked about this idea on the podcast a lot of adult friends. It's hard to make adult friends. It it, it is, it? I, it, yes, because I mean, you, you you somehow you have your friends, and you have your, <laughs> yes. your, your from from you know from childhood, yes. and when you go through life, and you have, and the older you get, the less time you have. You can't really collect new friends. Yeah, and uh, and then and somehow I think partly you know I when when we worked together, um, you know that was so brief. You came in and out. Yeah, because uh, because you had the shows in between while we were shooting shows, and also I had COVID at the beginning. Exactly, you had to move the schedule, so we had a really odd kind of bumpy meeting at the start. 
But you know what I said to my wife when I came home from shooting the movie? I've never said this. I've worked on so many things before. I said, I've never worked on a movie where, because I'm a writer also and and a director also, and I, I've never worked on a movie where I came away from the set and I thought, if I couldn't direct my own screenplay, that's who I'd want to direct my screenplay. Ah, no, thank you so much, Mike. That means means a lot to me. You do a thing in your movies, and it's all your movies, because I've been watching all your movies. Um, You jump between drama and comedy in a way where you're laughing, and then it's into something emotional, and then it's into something emotional, and you're into a laugh. And I always think that's an error that filmmakers make when they don't do that. Mm. Do you ever have that with movies where you go, oh, it's too bad they didn't inject some sense of humor because even the saddest things in life, and of course in Man Called Otto, his wife died and he's considering ways to end his own life. It's very, very sad. And then you find these pieces of humor with the kids and with the cat and with the neighbors. And that's what life feels like, as far as I can tell. Uh, you, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I have this huge admiration for comedians and, and comedy because it's the hardest. And uh, I think making people laugh is, is incredibly healing. And, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in, a, in, a, in a sort of culture where you have, um, you know, in, 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 in Switzerland, you know, you have everything, you know, is very unspoken. Your parents don't tell you, I love you. And then, uh, and then ultimately, when I moved to, you know, wanted to had this, I had this vision that I should be, become a filmmaker and tell stories. And I moved to New York to go to film school to NYU. I my English wasn't very good, and everybody else was writing their little scripts and doing their short films. And I, I wasn't uh, able to write, so all my films were in silence. Yeah, and it's I think, and so so these these silent movies, and I think these sort of, uh, like communicating story. Uh, an emotion with silence was was a great lesson to learn, and then you add dialogue to it, and then it get, get, becomes another layer. Yeah. And often I, I realized very quickly because all my films were very emotional and sad. Yeah. And and I, I realized later on that America really taught me humor. Interesting. Because because in in, in Switzerland, I, I didn't you know my, I mean my, my my father told jokes, but it wasn't necessarily they grew up funny. Yeah. So America's better than Switzerland is what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> no, I let me just write I, it down. Let me just write this down. I, I, I think America. <laughs> let me just get this down. Mark Forrester, <laughs> Colin, M A R C. America. Great. I'll just write greater than Switzerland. That's what I, you're I, getting I, at. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say <laughs> that, 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 that. 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 Probably is the. Is is what what I was trying to say, but I think it's it's, it's interesting that that's your side of the story. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course, we all have our own <laughs> side of the story. It reminds me, I listened to your podcast. You're talking about you and your wife, and and about the the, the mildew and uh, yeah. And, oh my gosh, and uh, our sides of the story. Yeah, oh. each of you have each part of the story. So, so that, that reminds me of that. That's interesting, though, the idea that like, and I've heard, I've heard you talk about this before. Do you feel like in Switzerland? What, why why do you think there's a repressed sense of humor? I think it's it's just uh, uh, you know you have great there's Swiss comedians by the way and 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 uh, which who are lovely and great but uh, it's often it's just uh, more internalized yeah you know and and I think in, in America 
you know, you have such a melting pot of people and the country is built on immigrants and you have people from, from all over the world and you have these incredible, you know, uh, conflicts as well. And out of conflicts, uh, often humor comes because yeah. there's a lot of pain. Yes. And when there's a lot of pain, you know, people have to laugh because yeah. otherwise uh, it would, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be a great situation. Yeah, it's interesting. Conflict breeds humor, certainly. Even like the, I'm not giving anything away because like Mancalado, it's like the opening scene of the movie is is at a hardware store where he's arguing essentially for no reason about 50 cents of rope. <laughs> and the, the rope is to end his own life. <laughs> and he's arguing over 50 cents, which he will not need that 50 cents. <laughs> After his life, yeah, and, and, would and, be and, over. And someone actually offers him to cover the difference. Yes, <laughs> literally, someone offers him. But <laughs> I love the way that scene is played. The actors play it so real, yeah, and then you direct it so real. Mm-hmm. I feel like oftentimes people don't understand how cl- they, you know, even on the red carpet for the sh- for the for the film. To me, they go, people go, "How do you feel about being in a drama?" And I'm like. It's the same. It act from an acting side. It's the same. If, yeah. if you play it real to the reality of what's there, then that's what's best for the story. And and it's it's you know the juxtaposition between the drama and the comedy. It's the yin and the yang. It's the dark and the light. And it's all about the human experience. And these are the movies I like. I'm I'm drawn to and the stories I like to tell are about the human experience. And it's it's about you know what you know what what. How what can I contribute to the dialogue of humanity? But at the same time, it doesn't matter if it's an uh, you know a big tentpole action movie or if it's a it's a small drama or a drama comedy or uh, whatever it is. I think they all have their their value because ultimately we're trying to make people entertain them and make them feel. It's funny, like there's the on on TikTok. I'm always served a discussion of Tarantino saying. You can't direct past a certain age, you know, because he's fam- you know he famously yeah. said that yeah he's only going to direct ten films because older directors aren't good. Here's my in- interjection into that dialogue. My favorite book on directing is Ilya Kazan on directing, and yeah. I'm paraphrasing him, but he basically says the key to aging as a director is directing movies about aging. Because that's what you have to offer. You, you know, it's 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 interesting. I I I, I love that that you, you said that, and that's it's a, it's great. You have to that you have to offer that wisdom, sort of speak. Yeah. But but I I feel like it's often. I don't think it's just directors. I think it's artists in general and and people that often you know you you come to a point you you have some movies are successful, some not, but you achieve some kind of a, a success, and and then ultimately. What the key is is to really de- start with the destruction of your own ego, because then you can start from from scratch again. You start almost like a child that sees the world for the first time, and I think that's the key of of trying to relearn the language you thought you have mastered. And I think relearning a language you thought you have mastered is the really the key here, uh, because you can constantly you have to grow. I think as a as a storyteller and as an artist that. And that's, I think, is really uh, 
one of the key elements for me at least because I feel like I haven't done my best work yet. Every film I think, what can I learn? How can I grow? And, and you know, working with Tom Hanks, who is a master and literally one of the greatest actors ever, uh, and he's so brilliant, just watching, working with him and communicating with him made me learn a lot so much because ultimately he, he's, he's so zen and he meditates and he's in, in the moment. He never leaves set and he connects with the character, but then he's so at peace with him and his surroundings to watch that is uh, truly extraordinary. And, and, and I feel like as a director, I'm thinking to myself that ultimately you want to be in the moment. You want to be as a almost like master in peace, because I think that, you know, some, some artists like to create in chaos and, and, and some, some yeah. people like to create in peace. And I'm, I'm the second one more that for me, I have to be surrounded by, by peace to be able to creative and, and, and channel sort of what I think is best because ultimately you make every decision and you make so many decisions on the day as a director has to be, has to be mostly not just rational, but also instinctively. Yeah. And these instinctive decisions, I think to, to make the right ones, I think to clear that pathway is in like just of, of your instinct, the better. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause, um, I saw Jonah Hill in an interview talking about working with Scorsese and he says, what people don't realize about directors is they're essentially making a decision every 30 seconds mm. that impacts the entire thing. And it's all different fields mm. of filmmaking. Mm. And when you see someone like Scorsese, what you're admiring without realizing it is he has a super ability to make split second decisions all day mm. and sort of not let down. And you and you have that and you, I never found you to be stressed on the set and you're making so many decisions all day. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I my, my creative process mainly takes play, place in pre-production because mm-hmm. that's where I sort of make the movie in my head when I have the discussions with my production designer, my DP, my costume designer, with, with all the department heads. And, uh, and, you know, and with, with some of the actors and, and you weren't there, but we did a bit of rehearsal like a week before just to, uh, to, to feel the ground and block some scenes and get a feel for it. And that's where I have my DP as well. But all these decisions are being made in pre-production in regard, obviously, to, to color, sound, all of these things. Uh, and, and then once I get on, 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 onto set, for me, it's, it's, it's more about, uh, Having having all that in in line and executing, but also letting trying to not be so rigid that it just goes the way I envision it and so in my head, but also giving room for for magic and having someone like yourself come in who, who is extraordinarily talented and and you come in and, and bring in what you have to offer. And I'm not saying no to that to see if it rings true to me, and if it doesn't, to steer it in another direction. So, so to have that dialogue, because then you have fantastic actors and fantastic artists there who offer you so much and you want to, you know, give them the best shot. There's a funny moment uh, that makes me think of, which is um, at one point, my, my character is sort of the thorn in Tom Hanks's character's side. He's like a real estate developer. And, uh, and at one point you came over to me and you're like, I'm going to butcher your accent, but I think it's funny. If you're offended by it, we'll take it out. You're like... Maybe on this take you could just get in his face, just sort of, uh, just really get in there and make it very uncomfortable. 
<laughs> I was like, oh shit, I got to get in Tom Hanks's face and he's not going to know it's coming. <laughs> and it ended up being wonderful. It was, yeah, it's funny. It was a good take. And it was like, I, I, I like that, that imitation of the accent. <laughs> what is, is it Swiss German, your accent? I don't yes, know. it's Swiss German. Okay. Yes, yeah, Swiss German. There's an amalgam because yeah. you moved when you were like yeah. eight, eight so, or nine? To the States. To Switzerland? No, I moved, I moved from, uh, uh, I was born in Germany. Yeah. And my mother is German and then we, and uh, my dad was Swiss. And then so we moved to to Switzerland uh, when I was like, to, to Davos, to the mountains when I was like six. Oh, wow. And then I stayed up there in the mountains until I was like 12 or 13. Well, it's interesting. Like I, so we became friends on the movie in March and then you were so kind when I took the show, Old Man in the Pool to London, you held a party. Uh, and what I was thinking about today was you had a party and it was really fun. It was like a bunch of the folks from Ted Lasso and uh, Zadie Smith and a bunch of friends over there who, who came out to the show. It was really fun. And you told a story about death that was so that that I was uh, shocked by, it, but also laughed a lot. At. Can I prompt you to tell that story? I, I mean, you know, because I was we were we had a little bit of wine. So yes, no, no, it was a lot of drinking. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe loosen up, and and I, I think and your comedy inspired me to, to to tell the story because what the the great thing is about whoever hasn't seen the show yet, how you you you're connecting with the audience, and when you stop talking, did you hear hear needle drop, mm. and it's so quiet. And it's like you're literally on the edge of your seat to hear what comes next in your in your stand up and the storytelling of it. It's extraordinary, and and so uh, I think all of that that emotional experience because I truly, as I said to you after the show, I I was so moved and I it, it was just such a profound show that it just just moved me and and that's why i shared this story but we can talk about it um, all i remember about the story is that there was a body that was brought across uh international lines oh, oh, oh yes you remember that story oh, yeah yes yeah, from italy yeah 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 no so 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 this those were friends of my mom and they always go to italy to on vacation and and uh, the whole family the, the the kids and the grandmother and everybody else and and uh, and the grandma passed away while they're on vacation, and then they wanted to bring back the the body to Switzerland to bury her, and they they couldn't uh, had issues with bringing her back over the border uh, because and they had to wait for I think a certain amount of time to so they would really delay the funeral for a month or two or whatever the time was or three months, so they they basically put her in a in a in a body bag and put her on the roof of the car. Oh my god! And and then <laughs> and then said we're going to just drive her over the border. Oh my god! And then so they 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 got very nervous when they approached the border. And then oh my god, so, this is so crazy! So, so I forgot the story and now I'm remembering it again. So 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 then they're getting out of the car at at the gas station to get a little coffee, and then when they got back out of after drinking a coffee, their car got stolen. No. It wasn't there anymore. No. So that was sort of the story. So the body was gone. So and the body's car. just gone forever. Yeah. yeah. Oh and my they God. couldn't find the car and anymore. It's in, right, and it's inconceivable. Like yeah. at some point, the person who stole a car yes. was like, oh, what's, what's what this? Yes. 
Oh, it's a dead body. <laughs> One of the things, like one of the things that makes you so versatile as a director, is that like Jenny and I loved World War Z, and I think one of the reasons it's sort of a masterclass in that type of film is that five minutes into the movie or ten minutes into the movie, we love Brad Pitt's family. We just mm. love them. I don't know. They have breakfast together. There's something in that. There's something in the kitchen. It's also Brad Pitt, who's a great actor. You know, like, the, all the actors are great. And, and then everything after that, we care. And it's such a great lesson in the first 10 minutes of the film really are crucial. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, setting up that family and connecting with them. And then also because once they're in the car together... And and really shit starts hitting the fan. Yeah, and, this know, is the, a post. This is sort of a, to, to, if people haven't seen this, you should watch it. It's like sort of a post-apocalyptic film where they're on a wild journey, uh, trying to save themselves and the world, etc. But at the beginning, it's just it's a very it feels like a very small personal film. Yeah, that that that's that's sort of what was the conceit of it uh, to connect with them to to begin with, and and I think you know it's. On, with auto, for instance, uh, very similar because you the, the key is there really to connect to to auto Tom's ca- to the character, yeah, and then and then connect to the family across the street, yep, and having that connection between Marisol and Otto. yeah, and, and I think in in in, in most most of my my film deal, you know, the the human aspect interests me the most, yeah. That's it's uh, and you know, interesting about World War Z, just because you mentioned it. You know, I grew up in, in, in when I grew up in Switzerland, Davos. We grew, I grew up in the um, sort of the, it's you have to imagine it's the mountains and this little house up on on, on on a mountainside, and there are no houses around really. So, and I, I used to play in the in the in the woods, and there was an anthill, and my fa- my dad was in pharmaceuticals, so I, I took these sleeping pills from him and just oh powdered them over the the, the anthill. This is crazy. And, and was watching the ants if they would slow down. <laughs> God. But but so so so, so, <laughs> so but they didn't slow down. But so but uh, while doing that is is that the ants really. Uh, I also was always claustrophobic and uh, it was very hard for me because my brothers locked locked me into like a closet for hours and didn't let me out. Oh, it was wow. slightly claustrophobic. And then and then also was a little always was hard for me to be in a mass amount of people. So in World War Z, the zombies and how they move is comes from those anthills. Like when they come and climb the wall in Israel, it's like that anthill. Right. The humans are ants. And then I lived down, I lived in, in California on the beach in Venice and um, and then suddenly the tsunami happened in Fukushima and I always thought there's a fault line running in the ocean as well. There's obviously St. Andreas fault, but it's the fault in the ocean as well. So I thought yeah. sooner or later there will be a tsunami coming. And I had this this reoccurring dream that I wake up and I'm drowning in my bed. So I'm I'm like have this reoccurring dream and sort of the the wave of the humans in World War Z comes as a mixture of me basically drowning in my 
my bed at the tsunami coming and the ants from my childhood. Yeah. It's like a combo. It's interesting you should say that about the ants and the and the shots in World War Z because with all of your films, I think the through line is that there's humanity and then there's cinema ultimately. Mm-hmm. Like I think one of the things that frustrates me about like this whole discussion of like the golden age of television and blah, 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 is I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> Hold on. We still need movies because I think the magic of movies is in in 90 minutes to two hours, we meet a group of people who we did not know. We go on a journey with those people and the journey lands in a place that we didn't expect it to land. And that happens in 90 minutes or two hours. That's astonishing. When I feel I'm fine with all your movies. That's what I appreciate it. I feel like it's when you're doing that, it's a gift because it's extraordinary. You take, you know, it takes years to make these movies, and then you give that to people. And to me, I'm like, movies, movies, movies. It's just that's how I feel about it. I mean, I, I, look for me, movies. I still love movies more than than TV because it's also. I love the three acts. I love there's an ending. I I, I love that you know the journey ends somehow. It's it's some something that that format of storytelling is more suited for me. Yeah, and 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 I I I just love also enjoy you know watching movies more. Yeah, because of that, it just works better for me. Where do you think movies go from here? Because clearly, like we're in this odd hiccup moment where a movie like A Man Called Otto is an outlier. Like even at the premiere, like the person who introduced the movie was saying like, this is a unique type of movie in this time, which is like, it's not a Marvel tentpole movie or this or that. It's like, it's a it's a movie for grownups and it's a human drama and comedy. Yeah. It, you know, it's 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 a movie Hollywood used to make a lot. Yes. They, those kind of movies, those type of movies. And now they're they don't make them as much anymore. Yeah. And I think after the pandemic, you know, a lot of the older people who weren't, they still haven't gone back. Yeah. The, that demographic hasn't gone back to movie theaters yeah. as much as before. And I hope this movie will bring them out more, that they feel safe, because I think this movie is really a way to experience auto the best way is in a theater, yeah, and 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 that's uh, I think because you will s- you feel people laugh, you f- feel them, you see them cry, and, and yeah. it's just like a communal experience. The film is about a community coming together. It's life affirming. It's it's a positive message. Yeah, and and I I, I hope that people will uh, come and see the movie and enjoy it that way. Yeah, the um one of the <laughs> since we've become friends, one of the characters in your life uh, who I've met is Rolf. <laughs> yeah, and Rolf is a Rolf is a world renowned uh, board game maker who you grew up with. Yeah, we we met when we was like seven, fifteen. I think he was sixteen, and he was uh, at the time already uh, just published his first children books. And, wow! And uh, just kept, at fifteen? Yes, at fifteen or yeah, sixteen years old, he published his first. Uh, a children book and uh, like he drew it and wrote it and then he published numerous afterwards and lots of board games and uh, you know and we just were friends ever since but I think what's interesting about the story is that he said to me he said Mark and I were the only creatives we knew the only artists who we who knew each other. That, that, that's true. And, and yeah. So as a result we encouraged each other's dreams when we were kids and that's how we connected and i think that that's like 
there's a lot of creatives who listen to the show. I think like there is a buddy system to creativity when you're starting out. I think you kind of do need a buddy. You need somebody to believe in you. I mean, I mean, it really encouraged me because ultimately, you know, everybody in our in our circle of friends were you know interested in finance and banking wow. and, and and all and you know maybe it's a lawyer or a doctor and things like that. But nobody was in the arts, and and you know my parents were weren't in the arts and. And they they were like you know we, we had like no they, they didn't know anything about movies and they thought my sort of idea or, or fantasy of becoming a movie director would fade away, and I think with the friendship with Rolf that really helped me is is this encouragement to each other you yeah. know and 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 him always saying because you know there were times when I've been finally. Moved to to US, went to NY, went to NYU to study. I mean, I right after I finished high school, and then moved to LA. There were some times that you know were a little rocky financially. You know, wouldn't know how, how things would work out, and and that encouragement of someone like that who knows you from your, since your childhood to keep pushing that no, it's gonna work out. Yeah. Just keep believing. If someone is starting out in filmmaking. Because you you wanted to be a filmmaker, you went to NYU, mm. and obviously you're making like you're saying these sh- short films, these silent films. If you want, if you're an aspiring filmmaker, you're listening to this. What's step one to becoming a filmmaker? I, I think uh, uh, step one as a filmmaker is that you really that's the path you want to be on, and you don't have another choice. Yeah. It's literally a, a driving force. You you can't suddenly uh, you know halfway through suddenly decide oh I want to be a a banker or a doctor whatever it's yeah. something you really you 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 need to pull through because it takes so much energy yeah and so much discipline and yeah. so much conviction and passion and it's at the end you know you making a movie it's it's mentally emotionally exhausting yeah and then and then you have you, know, you have to make sure that you constantly protect your vision because yeah because you have so many people uh you know there's a lot of chatter and you have to <laughs> yes and, and you, you have to distill very the chatter. generous way of looking at a lot and, of and, chatter and you have to distill the chatter and ultimately and 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 cut that chatter down and 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 take sometimes you know some people can offer great ideas yeah but you have to make sure the ship stays on course and you take yeah. the great ideas but then stay uh, stay on course great answer best answer ever <laughs> that's, that's the best answer we've gotten um what joe my brother joe was wondering was and this has to do with all this, all the collaborators. Is when you make something like Christopher Robin, it's like you're dealing with characters who are made of technology and somehow feel personal. And it's like, how do you get people? How do you convince people on that end of it of your vision? Like we're gonna make these Winnie the Pooh. Feel like like he's uh, alive and lovable and and it's you know it was interesting uh, uh, Renee Renee Wolf my creative partner too when when we spoke about about that very early on when we spoke about Pooh that it's it's it, it was important what I I was imagining and, and then and you know as we developed the script 
as well, it was important that the bear feels very huggable. And you feel the bear was I'm used. laughing because I watched the movie yesterday and it is huggable, fundamentally yeah. huggable. Yeah. And, and, and you, you feel that the bear is used and you wanted the fur to be used. And so we made a prototype of the bear. And, oh my gosh. You know, and also we chose fabrics because we have all the different fabrics. So we took the prototype and put it in different lighting situations. Wow. And, and so we have the re- real bear, which actually is at my house. Yeah, sitting there. Yeah, and and so and we made that bear, and, and then we we saw oh that's that bear that feels right that fabric and it's huggable and it feels used and it's and then I presented that bear to Disney and and to my you know kudos to Disney because they saw the bear and they they were fine with it and and I was thinking first oh maybe they want a brand new bear or they will yeah. fight fight me on that and they 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 were fine with it and they totally under, understood the point and then it's like because it's a t- period piece and it has to be a bear from the period so it yeah. has to feel right but you still want him to be associated to you know to a little bit to the bear who is in people's mind from the cartoons and they buy in the stores yeah but at the same time it has to feel authentic and and you know and the the film was was interesting because uh, i was on a plane with my daughter and she said she was watching on an iPad uh, Winnie the Pooh and uh, like some cartoons. And then she looks over me and said, you only make film for grownups. Aww. And then and I said, can you finally make a movie I can watch? And I looked at Pooh and said, why don't we make Pooh? And she looks Aww. at me and said, yeah, you make Pooh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> why don't you make Pooh? Oh my gosh. And that's how, how it all sort of, that was the, uh, the igniting spark, how it all started. Wow. And then Peter's question, of course, about um, Christopher Robin is, um, you worked with Winnie the Pooh, was his alleged addiction to honey a challenge on the set? <laughs> I mean, you know, it wasn't a challenge, but it got very sticky. And these moments where everything gets very sticky. One of the but you know what? It's not on, only, on, only, only, only on Christopher Robin. Some other movies can get sticky too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? This is called the slow round. This is a lot of based on memories from childhood. Good nicknames or bad nicknames in your life when you were a kid? Uh, good nicknames or bad nicknames? Did anyone call you things? As in my childhood, you're talking about childhood. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not my, really. No? Right? Like Switzerland, was Swiss, the Swiss don't have nicknames in their childhood. I is mean, that true? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, I would not, not, not really. No, I had no nickname. I'd have to disappoint you in that one when I was a kid, yeah. That's yeah. what I love about, yeah. yeah. You can always pull out that card. Oh, actually, you know what? Sorry. Schnoofy. <laughs> Schnoofy. You, Schnoofy. You really buried the lead. Schnoofy. 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 That was a nickname. No, it's like that between, it's between my, my brother and my mother as a kid. It's like Schnoofy. So my mother is like over Schnoofy because she's the uber Schnoofy, over Schnoofy. And then my brother is the Schnoofy. I have no idea so what you're talking about. So we all I literally have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, that's the it, name. It's all Schnoofies. But over is like the uber Schnoofy, the, the big, the big honcho Schnoofy. Well, Jenny and Una and I all call each other Sui Sui. 
Ah, sweet, sweet. Sweet, sweet. But it's a term of affection. Yeah. Is it a term of affection, schnoofy? Yeah, yeah, schnoofy. Schnoofily. And you can do an I behind it, you know, if you want to be very affectionate. Aww. Or schnoofily, you know. And then we all snoofies, you know. That's so lovely. Yeah. That that just came to me, yeah. But it's that's more like a firm, internal family. Do you have a, I told oh. you so with your family about your film career? About your 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 success as a filmmaker yeah, to your family who didn't believe in you when only Rolf and I believed in you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the two of them believe in you as well. But, you know, my mother did not not believe. By the in way, me. I was the only person who believed in Rolf. But. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's where he, where he, he is right now. You know, the, the thing is, uh, when when I uh, started out, it's it's my, my mother did not not believe in me. Yeah, she just was worried. I get it. She was worried. I think my parents too. Yeah. Yeah. Same. She was worried, but but I think she, you know, ultimately, you know, what was funny when I was in in in, in like after kindergarten, like in primary school, you know, I was dyslexic, and um, and the teacher called my mother in and said, you know, the two students, your son and this other son, uh, have some some learning disabilities or sure. issues, and we need to figure those. Figure those out, and he and my, my, my mother said, "What kind of disabilities?" I didn't understand what what's wrong with my son, and he couldn't he couldn't he couldn't express himself or point it, and and said he just doesn't fit in my class. He has to go, and he has to go to a special school for us for kids with special needs. And, I, and my mother said, "No, my kid my kid has to be stay in the school. She didn't want me to go to another school." So I had to go through these evaluations and meet right. psychiatrists and draw little drawings like a tree. And the psychiatrist sits in front of you and says, oh, why don't you, to me, and says, oh, why are you not drawing uh, some roots at this tree? Yeah. I said, oh, but I'm drawing leaves. Wow. So, so that was um, sort of the course of, uh, of events. And, but ultimately, my mom then pushed you know, my, the talents I had and that could evaluate, oh, your son has a great visual sense or blah, 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 yeah. blah. Well, it's funny because that, that's an interesting example of like often, especially with the artists, the thing that when you're a kid, people think is wrong with you is actually right with you. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I think, I, I, I feel like certainly when I was a kid, like, yeah, I talked too much in class, you know, mm-hmm. I was always like acting out, being kind of, you know, saying things out of turn, saying inappropriate things. And it's like, well... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I've got a location for that. It's on stage. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's going to quiet down. Did, did you, do you ever have to, in, 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 when you develop your comedy, is, is how do you, you censor yourself on stage? Or do you just, is there a stream of consciousness sometimes that you, uh, as you so, bring so, up? So what I do is I write um, a version of what I think is funny. I always describe this as I write what I, what I believe is funny. I share it, I memorize it as best I can, I share it with an audience. I start to understand the Venn diagram of what they think is funny about what I think is funny and what I think is funny about what I think is funny. Mm-hmm. And then I start to build from there. Okay. It's like, oh, okay, let's work from this place. Uh. And, 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 and so it's over time, in the case of Old Man in the Pool or Sleepwalk with Me, years, like three, mm-hmm. four years sometimes, where I start to understand like, oh, I'm interested in this, and they're interested mm-hmm. in this. I think this is funny, and they think this is funny. Mm-hmm. And occasionally you overrule them and you go, no, 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 this other thing's funny too. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Can you think of a time where you were scared and you ran away? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I was scared a lot in, in, 
as 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 a kid, and and my escape ultimately always was in imagination. Oh, you know, it's, it's like in, when you watch Finding Neverland. Finding Neverland has tons of that. Yeah. Yes, it's really uh, the reason I wanted to make that movie is is because you know how Jane Barry was inspired to write Peter Pan, but then also is this what I just mentioned to you, the forest behind our where the anthill was behind our house. Yeah, is how where just like I dressed up in different. Costumes and outfits, and run into the forest, and yeah. and imagine this whole world of friends and people, and what I communicated, and what I created, and that was my safe place. And I did that physically, but I also did it mentally. And it's sort of this escape because, partly, sometimes out of loneliness, sometimes of pain or or abandonment or whatever the issues are as as a child, because my parent, my family was very, nobody was really that much around, so you were pretty much. Often left on your own, yeah. and in, in that sense, you there was always this escape, and and escaping, you know, ultimately making movie was is a part of escaping as well. Sure, you're running away from what is a typical existence into sort of this imagination land where you're yeah. creating something. Exactly. Yeah, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given that you used? Um, I, I think, you know, the, there are a couple of, of people throughout life who profoundly affect the choices you make because one choice can, uh, you know, can put you in this direction on some, this, and, and this truly, I, I would say is, uh, is, uh, there was a moment where my, 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 my family lost everything, my, my dad financially. And, um, and it was, uh, Two weeks later, so I was at a birthday party of a friend, and his father was there. And we had his friend's birthday party, and the, he, I think he was turning 18, my friend, at the time. And I was staying there with the dad, and he said, and he, and he looked at me, and I thought my life was in shambles because we, we wouldn't know how to, all his accounts were frozen, we had lost everything, how we would go on and how we would live. And he looked at me and said, this is the luckiest moment in your life right now. And say because you look at these kids, you know they have a, a, a false, secure belief system they have yeah. built with their family, and their life. You have the opportunity now to create who you really want to be. Yeah, and that's what you should do. And I was like, it's myself. Like the person is mad. I don't really know. And and I and ultimately, uh, what's the interesting thing? Apart, a couple of weeks later, months later. I, you know, I, I thought I would get very sad because we had had no money anymore. But I, that never happened. I didn't get sad. I actually became very peaceful, having less. Yeah. And and in that peacefulness, I realized you should really only do what your heart tells you to do and follow that. Yeah. And that's really only what matters in life at the end. Yeah. So wow. I think that piece of advice of him in that moment, then it came to me. You should have that opportunity now to create who you really want to be. It was one of the great moments that affected me deeply. Wow, that's great advice. What's something you've learned about yourself as an adult? Um, you know, I learned that you know you believe you know yourself. Yeah. And ultimately, you really don't. You keep changing. Yeah, and you yeah. Keep and then you keep questioning who you are and you keep growing and you, you try to, to, to understand how to be more respectful or kinder or whatever. And, and you, you have to, it's, it's a constant growing process. Yeah. And I think, and often it's, it's through friends 
like yourself and conversations like this yeah. or my work or people who you love, it reflects back on you that you understand ultimately who you are and, 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 and who you are at this moment because I think we constantly change. And it's interesting, you know, I read once this, this essay of this Indian philosopher and he says, uh, yeah, I don't really have an opinion and because I'm, I'm going to change it anyway. Right. Yes, of course. That's a great. And, and, and there's a great Seinfeld quote that I always, I always use, which is the audience tells you what's funny about you. Yeah. You don't tell them. They tell you. And, um, and, and it's because of the exact thing you're saying. We're always changing. Yeah. We don't always know who we are because we were different than we were a half hour ago or, or certainly a year ago. Yeah, exactly. So what do you, at this moment, what does that make you want to make next as a filmmaker? You know, we, we made the two movies back to back during COVID. There was... Uh, Auto and Whitebird. And Whitebird yes. we actually shot before Auto that's coming out next uh, middle of August. Wow. And uh, so we're very excited about that. It's I think it's a very beautiful movie, uh, very touching as well. Um, and then next we're developing a couple of things. Might make uh, another movie, Graveyard, the Neil Gaiman book, uh, was um, the Graveyard book from Neil Gaiman was Disney. Uh, you know, hopefully that comes together, but you never know. It's the film business, but we right. hope for the best. But it's, uh, you know, you, you're constantly trying, you know, to, to f I mean, I, I, I like, you know, people say you're a versatile, versatile director. Uh, and, you know, I was always inspired by someone like Howard Hawks or Billy Wilder, who made a lot of different kind of genres. Yeah. And, you know, you, their directors, they always make the same genre, like Hitchcock, who becomes a master of his genre. And yeah. the directors, they switch up the genre, make very a lot of different genres. And that's more... You know, I, I never, my intention never was to become, ultimately, when you do the same genre, you become a brand, yeah. which is, it's great to raise money because people have much more awareness of you because yeah. you're a brand. Sure. Uh, with versatility, there's less of a brand. But for me, that's the only path because I couldn't do the same movie over and over again because I probably, uh, I probably would go insane. Yeah. But, and I think that's great to have that mastery. For me, it's about every time I, I feel like, oh, I might fail. That's what inspires me. Yeah. That that I, I that I need to figure out how to crack this yeah. and, and make this great. And you know, it's like with with auto, which you know is based on a huge, uh, best-selling novel, almost sold ten million copies on, on a movie that had, was small Swedish film, which was great. Yeah. So people first would ask me, I never did a, did a movie that was based on another movie or a book in that sense, you know, that combo and said, oh, why do you have to remake this movie again? You know, and, and, and I think, yes, because there is a wider audience because Otto is a character, like a Shakespearean character that yes. can live in every, universally in every, in every culture. That's right. It's funny you should bring up Billy Wilder because he, he, he has one of my favorite uh, anecdotes from uh, filmmaking. And I feel like you probably love this too. Is like, you ever heard that story about the when they were making the apartment? I love that movie. And it's great, beautiful movie. And 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 the actor, I think it was Jack Lemmon, did the scene. And Billy Wilder goes, eh, "Let's do it again. Make make less of it." You know, and he goes, "That was good." And they do another take. That's good. Make less of it. That was good. Make less <laughs> of it. And finally, Jack Lemmon says, to him, "Billy, I'm not doing anything at all." And he goes, "Exactly." <laughs> Thank you.
so the final thing we do on the show is working it out for a cause. We will contribute to an organization that you think is doing a good job, a nonprofit or anything like that. Yeah, there's no. A friend of mine, Hannes Schmidt, he's a he's a Swiss Swiss artist. Uh, was a great wildlife story. Big was a rock and roll photographer. He has a organization, a nonprofit called Smiling Gecko, and it's based basically in Cambodia. And it's and uh, and he has in Cambodia, he has the he bought his pieces of land and he has a whole farm there a school and education for all these kids and obviously and this and he really because i don't know if you know much about cambodia and the educational system there and and the poverty i mean it's 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 horrific oh wow and and he built this whole community there and you know that every dollar really goes there and the schooling and how many kids he he has there and and uh, it's really extraordinary when you when you look it up what's it called smiling gecko it is smilinggecko.ch this looks like an extraordinary organization and uh and we encourage we'll link to them in the show notes encourage people to, to to donate as well fantastic well mark you're my new friend (laughs) <laughs> you're my you're my collaborator. I'm thrilled for your movie. I can't wait for people to see the movie. They should see it in the theater with other people to have a human experience that that films like this were intended to have. Please do so. Thank you so much. Working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no. That's gonna do it for another episode of Working It Out. Uh, go see. I mean, all of Mark's films. I would watch. A Man Called Otto is in theaters now. Support films like this in movie theaters. Uh, I think that you'll have a great experience with it. Tom Hanks is amazing. Uh, I mean, the whole cast does an amazing job. I'd also watch World War Z. I think that that movie is fantastic. Um, Thanks for listening. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salomon and Joseph Berbiglia. Associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish, Assistant producers Gary Simons and Lucy Jones. Sound mix by Ben Cruz. Supervising engineer Kate Belinsky. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. My consigliere is Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. Uh, also, I should I should shout out if you've seen The Old Man in the Pool, the song that plays at the beginning and the end is by a group that Jack uh, works with called Red Hearse. It is Jack Antonoff, Soundwave, and Sam Dew, and I love that album. I mean, Jenny and I listen to that that thing like crazy. So good. That brings me to special thanks to J-Hope Stein, uh, whose book, Good Segue, is called Little Astronaut. It is at your local bookstore. You can follow her at, at J-Hope Stein. Special thanks, as always, to our daughter, Una, who, who helped me create a radio fort made of pillows in the deep of pandemic. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Like Otto, for example. Otto has a lot of enemies. His neighbors, the person at the hardware store, me, me, for example, uh, <laughs> the real estate developer. You should go up to your real estate developer who's trying to buy your house based on knowing inside information about your health conditions and say, you know, there's this podcast I really enjoy. I think you might like the the Mark Forster episode or the Sarah Sherman or the Hannah Gadsby or the John Mulaney. I'll see you next time, everybody.